Amen. Oh, sorry. And I turned the microphone on. That was on me. I just suddenly, I forgot to turn that on. Well, yes, this is a new pulpit, and it's much taller. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Uh, well, it's, uh, today we're continuing our series as we are talking about the seasons of the soul. And uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we know that uh, Solomon wrote that there, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. That we go through seasons of life, that God created rhythms that we walk through. Sometimes those rhythms are challenging, they're difficult. Sometimes those, challenge, those, those rhythms are joyful. But we all pass through these different seasons. And so, um, but if we know the characteristics of the season that we're walking through... It, we can pass through many experiences really with a lot more peace and a lot less trouble in our soul. If we know what to expect in the same way when we go through winter and we know to expect winter, we, we, it's a lot less troublesome. You're like, what is this ice on the ground? I don't even know what's going on. But when we know those rhythms are coming, when we expect uh, what, to, what, what comes in those seasons, um, we can walk through them in so much more peace. So last week we did talk about winter of the soul. We talked about um, the periods when God's voice seems to go silent. And, uh, and hope seems like it's really far away. Maybe we don't even see the end of what we're going through. But, uh, but we know that God's voice um, still speaks. And, and David composed a stanza for one of their worship songs. They sang this when they dedicated uh, the temple. So he wrote a special song just for dedicating the temple. In Psalm 30, he says, For God's anger only lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. There are seasons of weeping. There are seasons of sorrow. But joy comes in the morning. That God brings these new things. And dark valleys will have an end. And God brings joy and restoration. And he desires good gifts for his children. Aren't you so glad? God desires for us to have these moments of, of celebration and good things. Um, we're coming up on the holidays. And it reminded me of something we did. This is not a parenting tip whatsoever. Um, as a matter of fact, maybe it's a warning. I don't know. But... Uh, uh, when, when Judah was a little guy, we do, our family tradition is we do stockings on New Year's Eve, or on Christmas Eve, not New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve. So we have stockings, and they're not full of anything really, you know, fantastic. It's like gum and candy and little trinkets, things like that. But, but when you're like three or four years old, and those stockings are hanging right at eyesight, you're just like, that is so exciting. And so the rule is no looking in there until Christmas Eve. But we would see him with his fat little fingers peeking in there when he thought no one was in the room, right? He, we, we'd come around the corner and he'd be looking and pretend nothing was going on. We knew he had, an, an, a, you know, there would be times, this is not a joke, he would dump out the whole stocking, look it over and then carefully put everything back. He was getting a, a good a feel for what could be expected. We knew this was happening. We didn't say anything to him, but we decided we were going to teach him a hard lesson. So we emptied out his stocking when he wasn't looking. And we put, we didn't have coal, so we just put a potato in it. An uncooked potato. And so Christmas Eve came and we're like, go get your stockings. And Gavin's pulling out candy and gum and everything. And Judah pulls out this potato and he, it's just silent. He's just looking at it. And we go, what's wrong, Judah? And he's like, nothing. Because he can't admit, you know, I, I, knew, I know what I should be getting. He's like, nothing. And we're like, well, what, what do you, what do you, what's wrong? He's like, I don't know what it is. And we're like, it's a Christmas potato. You got a Christmas potato. And we're acting celebratory, and he actually acted really thankful for the potato. I love it. It's so brown. And uh, 
We did end up giving him what was in his stocking, but, uh, but for, for years now, we talk about the Christmas potato, and maybe we should give someone the Christmas potato. Um, but while we, as parents, we gave terrible gifts, God gives great gifts to his children. He wants us to have good gifts. He's not going to pull a switcheroo on you. He's not like, oh, you thought I was going to be nice to you. God, God wants us to have good gifts. He wants to bless us. And he brings us into these seasons of refreshing. These seasons of renewal, it can be physical renewal, it can be emotional restoration, spiritual restoration, healing, fresh vision, life, flourishing. And uh, about 12 years ago, there was an event that happened in the Middle East called the Arab Spring. I don't know if you remember watching that on the news. It was a loosely configured event where in several countries, including uh, uh, Egypt and, and some other areas in the Arab world, where there was this revolt where they were rising up against uh, basically uh, this this autocratic tyranny that was going on around them. There was injustice. They were demanding reform. And it was named Arab Spring after... Other events that had happened in, the, in, in Pro- Prague, there was something called the Prague Spring. There were other uprisings that happened in Europe where people said, we need to overthrow the tyranny that's going on. And the spring is a reference to this refreshing, this renewal. We are going to burst forth from the brokenness of what's around us. And so we see spring as this season of refreshing renewal in life. And we are, as followers of Jesus, we are always blessed. Amen. We are always blessed, but I, I can tell you that there are some periods where we feel a particular flourishing and new life coming to things, where we feel really that there's a breakthrough, where there's been strongholds, and where we see our ministries just moving forward and the hand of God's blessing on us. And, and uh, let me tell you that this life and this refreshing isn't something that we can bring about on our own. It's not through going to a Tony Robbins uh, seminar or listening to a good podcast. It's only through the hand of God that this life can burst forth in our life. And so um, this, is, this is something that happens in, through the hand of God. And so last week we read from Habakkuk, the prophet seeking the voice of God in a time of hopelessness, right? He was looking forward and he's going, I, I don't see the end. Israel, uh, the, the nation of Judah has turned away from God. I see murders. I see uh, uh, sinfulness. And then on the horizon, I see Babylon coming to bring uh, God's judgment upon us. And we're going to be carried into captivity. He was in a dark night of the soul. And so Habakkuk is seeing this come on. And while he's seeing this, there's another prophet that's actually prophesying at the exact same time. And his name is Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is a contemporary of Habakkuk. He, He was born maybe a decade or two after he was a whippersnapper to Habakkuk. He's like, oh, that young kid prophesying, singing the new choruses. I don't even know what he's saying. Listens to his music too loud. Well, Ezekiel went and was actually captured when Babylon came in and he was taken into captivity. So Ezekiel saw the the conquest coming on and then he himself was taken into captivity, which is in modern day uh, Iraq. Babylon is in modern day Iraq. It's between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers where they can join in this delta that dumps into the, into the uh, Persian Gulf. And so he was far from home. As a matter of fact, in the very first verse of his book in Ezekiel, he says that he was by the Kavar River. And Kavar, by definition, literally means far off. And so Ezekiel is far from home. He is in a place where his cultural identity has been taken. His home has been taken. His livelihood is gone. His means of worshiping God is gone. Their means of worshiping God was at the temple, and the temple had been raised. Not raised, raised. Destroyed. Burned. Completely 
gone. And so his means of worship, all of this was gone. And he was living in this dark winter that Habakkuk could seen coming. But while he's in captivity, while he is far away, he begins to hear the voice of God speak to him and he prophesies. And so in Ezekiel 37, join me in the word, if you will, um, in your Sunday links. If you scan that QR code, you'll see the Bible app. And I've got all of my references right there. You can follow along with me as well as you can go to... Um, you can take notes and things like that. So um, if you'd like to join me there, you're welcome. Welcome to as well. Starting in verse 1, Ezekiel says, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. And he led me all around, all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Stop there for a minute. Has anybody ever seen one of those Frankenstein movies? I googled Frankenstein movie. Do you know how many Frankenstein movies or derivatives there are? There's a ton. There's one about a wiener dog that's a Frankenstein. There's some real good content out there if you look. So... These Frankenstein movies, though, right? Frankenstein is the doctor. He's not the monster. But Frankenstein is this doctor that tries to create life out of pieces of of dead people and things, right? He's piecing them together, stitching them together, then getting like a lightning storm or some sort of big surge of electricity to try to bring to life something that was dead. Um, As a matter of fact, that's not just something that we see in movies. Did you know that there's something called cryogenic freezing that's a thing right now? And that's where when you die... You can be put in a freezer. Someone just has like a chest freezer somewhere. They put you in there in hopes that science someday will learn how to reanimate you. And that's expensive. So it turns out, this is real, that if you can't afford to have your whole body frozen, they'll just take your head and put it in a smaller container. Sorry, it's true. They do that. And uh, and then one day they'll try to reattach you. I don't know if you get to pick the next body you get when they uh, thaw you, but they'll reattach you and try to reanimate you because people are afraid of death, right? And they want to know that they could live again someday. And so this this is something though that why is widely regarded in real science world as like totally bunk. It's impossible that there's nothing you could really do to reanimate yourself. And so uh, these things are considered science fiction, whether it be um, what, what Dr. Frankenstein is doing or what they're doing with cryogenic freezing, because we cannot bring life to things that are dead. We can't do that. With all our science, all the things that we have, we are incapable of bringing life to what is dead. So in Ezekiel 37, it continues on in verse 4. He says, Then he said to me, being God, said to him, Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message that he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise and all across the valley and the bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. And then he said to me, 
Speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message he commanded me and breath came into their bodies and they all came to life and they stood up on their feet, a great army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore... Prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. That was a long segment of scripture. What a prophecy that he saw. Um, I've never had a vision like that. I've never had a moment where I'm literally like in that moment or a dream that's so vivid like that. Um, I'm envious of that that experience. But uh, Ezekiel has this vision and it's about Israel as a nation. But Israel as a nation was dead. It was non-existent. It didn't have a land. It didn't have a government. It didn't have anything. And they could not make themselves a sovereign nation no matter how hard they tried doesn't matter how much they tried to organize or do anything. They were dead as a nation, no matter how much they wanted it. Because only the Spirit of God can bring dead things to life. And this is what Ezekiel prophesied. That only the Spirit of God, when he said, breathe the Spirit of God, that that will bring this life to these dead bodies, only that can bring dead things to life. It can only the breath of God can bring life where it never existed. People try to breathe life into their world without God all the time, right? What's going to make me feel alive? What's going to give me a sense of purpose? Some people do it by chasing thrills. Um, adrenaline junkies. Sometimes I watch their videos on YouTube or whatnot, and they're jumping off cliffs and doing all kinds of things. And I've seen interviews where they literally say, it makes me feel alive when I do it. It gives me a, a feeling of being alive. Some people look for it in another person and in a relationship. They try to find that in, in, a, in a relationship they can build. Maybe it's out of seeking an emotional high. And that can be found in a lot of different ways. Maybe it's finding that next great TV show that you can really attach to. Or a video game. Or a source of entertainment. It may be that we try to feel alive by medicating ourselves with drugs and alcohol. Chasing the dragon, as they say. Trying to find that thing that gives us life. What is it that's going to give me that, I feel it, I feel alive in this moment. And people are searching for it all the time. But the problem is the endorphins wear off. The the moment is gone and then we are right back to feeling dead again, aren't we? So I actually Googled it to see if science had actually been able to create organic life. I was like, I haven't researched this in a while. Let's see how they're doing. Not good. Um, I found a a thing that says... uh, an article that was celebrating, it said the first synthetic organism has been artificially created in a lab. And I was like, they did it. So I clicked on the article and that was misleading. The way they, the way they actually did it was they took cells from an already living bacteria and made their own version of a cell. So they were still having to draw from life that was already existent. We cannot create life from what is dead. We cannot draw life from what does not already been breathed into by the hand of God. This is what makes, uh, just as an aside, let me just tell you, this is what makes uh, uh, evolution such a problem. 
And the Big Bang's such a problem that there's some sort of amino acids floating around in this pool where there's, there's other amino acids. We don't, we don't know where they came from, but that's not the issue. And then suddenly a perfect lightning strike happens or something happens where those amino acids become molecules and become complex and start to multiply exact copies of each other and they become more complex and different ones. And we haven't even been able to create artificial life with all of, you think about all of the data and information and knowledge that we have in our world. We still can't create life. No one on this earth can create life outside of God, both physically and spiritually. But yet we still try to medicate and make our own life, don't we? Let me tell you, though, I just talked about the things that people do to search for life. Are friendships sinful? No, of course not, right? Are, is seeking a thrill wrong, like going bungee jumping? Well, it is wrong. That's actually wrong. It's crazy. <laughs> but these things are supplemental, not elemental. These things are supplemental. They're, they're not uh, the, the, the essential for soul life. And so um, let me, I'm going to tell you something crazy. You might disagree. You're free to disagree. You're free to be wrong. But let me tell you this. You may think this, this isn't right, but you will never find the perfect tie, the perfect person, or the perfect scenario that will make you feel fully alive outside of Jesus. You will never find it. So your spring, your new life, your regeneration of the soul can't occur outside of the supernatural power of Jesus. It all starts with him. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If we are in Christ, we are new creatures, new life, spring, this time of renewal and new life. And the word of the Lord has brought what was dead alive. The word has been sown in hearts, and that's a great thing. But it's also important that during this time of the spring time of the soul, you're receiving what God has brought to life. Maybe it's things that have been dead and gone in your, in your life a long time. You feel like uh, you had to give up on and God's renewing these things. But let me tell you that it's important we steward the springtime as well. It's especially important in the spring. You see, when things are difficult, we talked about the winter of the soul. When things are difficult, it drives us to the Father. We're compelled to go to Jesus and say, God, I need you. But let me tell you, when things are going pretty good and we're in cruise control... That's when we get complacent. That's when we start to let things slide, when we are no longer uh, being pushed towards the Father. And so and Jesus gives a parable that I want us to look at, and it's a springtime parable. It's specifically a springtime parable. In the book of Matthew, um, Jesus is standing at this place, um, and it's, now it's called the Sower's Cove. They are pretty sure that they know exactly where Jesus would be standing. Galilee is not a huge area. If you look at this picture behind me, this cove right here, it's called Cove of the Sower or Sower's Cove. Um, it's amazing. By the way, there's a great YouTube video where there's uh, a biblical scholar that goes there and demonstrates how Jesus' voice would have been able to be heard up on the hills around it. He has someone go literally several hundred yards away and he stands out by the water and the way it amplifies is incredible. But anyway, um, that's just a fun fact. You can put that bonus in your pocket, okay? So, that's, <laughs> you're welcome. At the cove of the sower, Jesus is standing, but the reason this is important is look what's around the cove of the sower. All kinds of agriculture. You've got fields, you've got orchards, you've got uh, areas where they're growing probably grapes for wine. And so Jesus, this has been this way for thousands of years. And Jesus is speaking to an agricultural people when he tells this parable. I love it that he's standing there and he's talking to farmers that have stepped right off their field. And he gives this parable in Matthew 13. Jump there with me in your Bibles. He says this, it says, later that same day, Jesus left the house and he sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat and he sat there and he taught the people. 
or taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. This is the first parable Jesus ever tells. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and they ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And Jesus said that and no one understood. So later the disciples come to Jesus and they say, we totally understand. But just imagine someone was with us that didn't understand. Maybe you could explain that parable. And Jesus explains it to him down in verse 18. It says this. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So Jesus tells this parable, pop quiz, this is, you don't, don't answer out loud. But who are we in this parable? I'm going to give you the answer here. We are the soil. We are the soil. We, we are, have the good news, the gospel, the word of life that's planted in us. And as the soil, we have a responsibility then to respond to God's word and produce a harvest. Now, some of us have heard the gospel, heard the gospel with, and received it with joy, but we've not actually cultivated the soil of our own heart, and it doesn't take root. And we've allowed Satan to steal the joy and the victory that we were given. Some of us have allowed the worries and the storms of this life to overwhelm the work that God has done, and it's drowned out His voice. Others have maybe allowed pri- other priorities to choke out the harvest that God has sown in you. You've, you've allowed other priorities, other things, sports, entertainment, the other allures in this world to choke those things out. But in the springtime of our soul, it's so important. We must steward the life that we've actually been given. We need to steward the life that we've been given. You see, a field that's left unplowed is a field that's wasted and an opportunity that's squandered. Let me tell you, perhaps you've, because this is the way I've understood this parable of the sower for a long time. You're the soil that you are, and that's what you've got to accept. Let's hope that you're the good soil. Have you ever thought of it that way? I've kind of heard it that way. Let's hope that you're not the rocky soil, or that Satan doesn't steal that, or that uh, the weeds don't grow up. But listen to what James 1 says. Listen to this. James 1:21. This is Jesus' brother writing this. He says, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. There is some cultivation that needs to go on in the heart, James is saying. 
You need to deal with the filth and the evil in your life so that you can receive what God wants to plant in your souls. So maybe you've read that as, I'm just one of the types of soil. I, I guess if, you know, I fell away, I guess I was the wrong type. No, we have a responsibility that we cultivate and create a place where the word of God, the hope of life can be birthed within us. So James makes it so clear we are responsible to be receptive to it. Allow God to break up the places where, where in our heart that have grown hard and calloused. The spaces we're allowing fear and worry to outshout the voice of God. Let me tell you, when Peter stepped out of the boat, the fear and the worry were outshouting the voice of the master in that moment when he started to sink, right? And we let the worries and the concern of the world outshout what God is trying to do in the springtime of our hearts. We need to steward this season where success and entertainment and distractions of the world are trying to choke out the harvest that God is trying to work in us in the spring season. We need to foster a healthy spring cultivation season. We need to cultivate now because what we cultivate now and what we steward now in the springtime will determine the harvest that we have in the next season. What we cultivate now in this season will determine the harvest we have in the next. So spring is a time of new life. It only comes through the breath of life that comes from God. We can't create it on our own. We can't artificially uh, manufacture it. It only comes from God. And perhaps you're in this room and you have never received that life from God, or maybe you have been searching for it in every other place. You've been chasing down every opportunity to make yourself feel alive. Maybe it's a thrill, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's an emotional high, maybe it's whatever it might be, and you're trying to fill that void, and you're afraid of the silence because then you feel dead inside and you realize just how lost you are. Let me give you this opportunity to know Jesus and to say, Jesus, I need you to breathe your breath of life in me. I can't do this on my own. I need the breath of the master, the breath of God that breathed life into Adam, that brings life to dead things, to bring life into these dead bones. And today you say, that's me, Pastor Brent. I want to receive that life. I want to receive that life. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor Brent, I need the life that you're talking about. I can't try to fake it. I can't try to make it on my own. I can't try to find it anywhere else, but I need to go to God. And that's you. We're not bowing our heads. We're going to do it boldly. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to pray with you right now. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else want to join? Say, I need that life. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Right now what we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer as a community. But this prayer is just a starting point. It's like the starting blocks of a race. This is saying, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I declare and believe that you are the Son of God who's alive today. But then, from this day forward, I choose to declare you as my Lord and will follow you every day of my life. Because we're starting a journey. This is not small potatoes, small Christmas potato. This is a big deal. This is an eternity-altering decision that we're making. So right now, if that's you and you made that decision, let's bow our heads and pray right now. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for me. You took my sins. You took my failure. You took my death that I earned. And you took it to the cross but that you rose again three days later and you're alive today and you're offering me life and so today I receive it I make you my king 
and I make you my Lord. So from this day forward, I will follow you every day of my life. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer in a few minutes, Tony's going to come up and she's going to lead us in our connection cards. Here's what I ask you to do. Because this is a journey that we are engaging on, mark your connection card that you made that decision because we want to connect with you and help you along the first steps of that journey and to engage with you because we walk this together in community. When we prayed together as a worship team this morning, we thanked God that we walk together in community, not alone. We are not isolated, but we are united. We are together pursuing Jesus in community. And so if you made that decision, we want to help get you plugged in to the body of Christ so that you walk together with us, all right? So mark that in your connection card, I ask. Tony. Thank you, Pastor Brent. What a wonderful service. And um, as we come into the house of God, we come in one way, but we should always leave a little bit changed. And that's the opportunity for our connection card. Uh, the questions that we want to challenge you with this week from this service is, first one is, what is the soil in your life that needs cultivation? Do you need to pick rock or do you need to add some manure? Whatever. <laughs> Have you allowed the enemy to steal the joy of your salvation? Hmm. Is a lack of depth and discipleship and knowledge of God could it be an area you have allowed fear and worries of the world to choke out the good news you've received? We have connection cards if you want to do it the old way of writing in a response on the back seats. Or you could use the NLC forward slash connect and do it electronically. But any kind of response we look at, we pray over. We, we uphold you with. We are a community of believers. We're not in here by ourselves. And that's a blessing from God. I'll give you a minute to just respond or think about it. What do you need to do to your soil this week? And I get to uh, have the blessing of sending you out with a blessing. And this is in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. It says, May the God of peace, who brought back the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus, from the dead by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing to do his will by developing in us what pleases him through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and always. And we all say, Amen. Go in God this week.